0: Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai.
1: good morning and a very warm welcome to africa rise and shine this is channel africa from an african perspective coming to you live from johannesburg in south africa we are on dstv's Audio Bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za i'm lulu Kabu in studio with ann musa and tabi in our top stories on africa rise and shine at the Sawa, uganda's labor minister in custody for attempted murder Anger and outrage for South Africa's beauty retailer clicks continues after racist hair advert, and today marks International Literacy Day. In economics news, South Africa's power utility Eskom says stage one load shedding will resume this morning. But first up the news with
2: Moussa.
3: SABC News, independent and impartial from an
4: African perspective.
5: Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa. West African regional heads of state have told the military junta in Mali to name a transitional president and a prime minister by the 15th of this month. That's according to a statement read at the end of a summit in Niger's capital near May. President Mohamedou Isufu earlier said the junta must work with regional body ECOWAS to ensure a swift return to civilian rule. A group of army colonels has ruled Mali since ousting President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita last month. Ethiopian security officials have barred at least 12 people, including four journalists and a senior think tank analyst, from boarding a flight to the northern region of Tigray, telling them that elections to take place there later this week are illegal. Ethiopia's Upper House said plans by the Tigray region to hold an election on Wednesday for regional parliament and other positions were unconstitutional. The Tigray People's Liberation Front, which runs the northern province, has said the vote will go ahead despite pressure from the central government The Minister in the South African Presidency Jackson Mtimbu has denounced the acts of vandalism witnessed at click stores here ever says the government notes the public outrage following a clicks ad where black hair is portrayed as dry and damaged in a statement he says government is equally disturbed by the crude racist display of the advert but acts of lawlessness are concerning the eff help pickets across all Clicks stores nationwide abongile Dumako reports
6: anger and outrage was the order of the day throughout the weekend following a racial advert by clicks the eff led pickets saying clicks must fill the pinch for what it has done but government has come out against the acts of vandalism in some stores however eff leader julius malima says the pickets will continue until friday unless clicks responds to their demands
5: The World Health Organization has called on countries to invest in public health in order to continue fighting the coronavirus and other pandemics in future. The organization was giving an update on the coronavirus from Geneva in Switzerland, more than 27.1% million coronavirus infections have been reported globally and 888,326 people have died from COVID-19 related illnesses. The head of the WHO Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus says the world must be better prepared for the next pandemic.
7: Public health is the foundation of social, economic and political stability. That means investing in population-based services for preventing, detecting and responding to disease. This will not be the last pandemic. When the next pandemic comes, the world must be ready. Part of every country's commitment to build back better must therefore be to invest in public health as an investment in a healthier and safer future.
5: A Saudi Arabian court has jailed eight people for between seven and 20 years for the 2018 murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The trial was criticized by a UN official and human rights campaigners who said the masterminds of the murder remain remain free. Khashoggi, a critic of Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, was last seen at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in October 2018. His body was reportedly dismembered and removed from the building and his remains have not been found. In sports news, Kenya's first Olympian taekwondo athlete, Dixon Wamwiri Wanjiku, has died. The 35-year-old reportedly collapsed in in his home in Dagoretti estate in the capital, Nairobi. He won gold in the 2007 Africa Games in Algiers. His first notable continental performance was in Nigeria in 2003, where he took bronze at the African Championships in the 54-kilogram class and he scooped bronze again at the 2011 All-Africa Games in Maputo. Our Kenyan correspondent, Francis Mutegi, reports.
8: Apparently, Wamuri died while being taken to Kenyatta National Hospital by neighbors after collapsing in the bathroom on Sunday morning at his house. Wamuri represented Kenya the 2008 Beijing Olympics in the men's 58kg class after winning the title from the African qualification tournament in Libya. Kenya Taekwondo Federation Secretary General George Wesonga said that Wamuri was experiencing repeated seizures. Wesonga said Womuiri had undergone surgery at some point because of the condition.
5: Mutege has more on his achievements and other departed athletes.
8: Womuiri and Mildred Akini Alango were Kenya's first Olympic taekwondo athletes. Womuiri's departure comes in the wake of two other sportsmen tying within the last month. Kevin Oliyech, brother to legendary Harambee star striker Dennis Oliyech, was laid to rest last Saturday after succumbing to cancer in Germany. Kevin's demise came in the backdrop of yet another recent death of an athlete. The athlete's fraternity had just come out mourning one of Kenya's pioneer Olympiads Ben Jipcho. Jip Chow was a retired runner who represented Kenya in the 1972 Olympics 3,000 meters chase and won the silver medal.
5: And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time.
3: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's 7.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Uganda's Minister for Labour, Mwesigwa Rukutana, has been detained after being charged with attempted murder. The 61-year-old former Deputy Attorney General, who is currently detained, also faces other additional charges. For the latest update, we are now joined on the line by Solomon Sewanja, a Ugandan investigator investigative journalist Solomon, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine.
9: Good morning, Lulu. It's good to have you to have me
1: on the program this morning. Thank you for joining us. Now, Solomon, can you confirm if uh, indeed Uganda's Minister for Labour, Mwesigwa Rukutana, has been charged with attempted murder?
9: Well, yes, I can confirm. And this follows the National Resistance Movement Party, which is the party in power here in Uganda, which held its primaries recently marred by violence in different parts of the country. Uh, About two people, died and several others sustained injuries in the national party primaries and that is of course ahead of the general elections so just lulu to paint for you the picture of what happened according to the video that we've so far watched that has gone viral here in uganda the former uh, deputy attorney general who also doubles as the state minister for labor grabbed a gun from his bodyguard and shot at two people who sustained major injuries. Well, according to Mwesugaru he says that um, the people who were challenging him in the election, some of them had guns and early in the morning that blocked him to leave his home and he had to forcefully see himself at one of the polling stations. And of course, this follows the fact that he lost in the primaries. So I think that must have angered him, um, you know, to get a gun off his bodyguard and shot at two people. Now, you know, such... I would call it um, nonsensical acts are not new to Mwesi Gwarukutana because he has been previously seen talking to top magistrates and judges here in Uganda that he doesn't care even if you report him to the president, who is also the chairman of the party. He looked like he was an untouchable guy. So eventually what happened was He was arrested alongside his three bodyguards and detained. He was in prison for 48 hours and later on charged with attempted murder, assault, and causing bodily harm. And the chairman of the party, who is President Yoweri Museveni, who is um, in power, yesterday talked tough about the acts of his Labour minister, and he said that he should face the full arm of the law. It should be prosecuted and he is not happy about his acts and he has said that several others have been arrested. And I think the biggest question though this time, Lulu, is whether the president is going to leave one of his blue-eyed boys or big ministers to be uh, prosecuted uh, before, the, um, before, before the courts of law and all Ugandans are, are watching. And I think it's quite a tricky thing for him because if he doesn't do anything on what on his minister's action then then the the vote may swing against him especially as he builds up his campaign against a young prominent uh, leader who is Bobby Wine who is Robert Chakulanyi Ahead of February election, so now the Solomon, election fever is coming up in Uganda, Lulu.
1: Now Solomon, I was just I was going to ask you with regards to President Yoweri Museveni um, and his reaction to um, you know the incident that took place uh, by uh, Mwesi, Mwesi Rukutana. Now you know. Uganda is is in terms of uh, um, violence and, and electoral process There's always it's always marred by violence. What happens now going forward with regards to the fact that as you mentioned and you've already touched on, um, a lot of politicians get away with murder in terms of, so to speak um, and uh, they do a lot of wrong things and they're let off the hook. Now this time around it is attempted murder um, from what we understand uh, the person who was shot, uh, a Dan Rue Buringi, was reportedly in a critical condition. What's his status now?
9: Well, of course, he's still getting medical attention, but... um Mwesigwe is not an ordinary Ugandan. He has served in different political offices, including the office of the Attorney General. You can imagine he defended government in different cases. He clearly knows how the law works. But just beyond the law, this guy is a powerful guy here in Uganda. I mean, if you look at the people who are, up to give him, you know, to to bail him out later on. The president sort of interjected and eventually was taken to prison. They are big boys in Uganda's politics. They are big boys in Uganda's business environment. So they had all come to see that he gets then uh, because of the intervention of the president he, he he's still in so what we're going to be seeing um, in the next couple of days is the trial of a former deputy attorney general and where this leads uh, but just to talk a little bit more about you know president Museveni and his and, and Putin in, in, into custody I think that I think that as the chairperson of the National Resistance Movement Party, um, he needs to put his foot down and, you know, correct the mess in his party right now. And and that should be done very, very fast because the opposition in Uganda, too, is gaining ground ahead of the general election. But Lulu, I just wanted to point a bigger picture of politics in Africa. I mean, yes, these are just party primaries. And as a country, we are very worried because if just party primaries are marred by violence, then the projection of the Elections in February uh, could even get worse. And so I think that the politics in Uganda um, needs to really be uh, watched closely. And um, the, the president has promised to deploy the army. Uh, To play a critical role in this election, uh, to support the police uh, reinforcement, to ensure that violence doesn't doesn't happen in the elections.
1: Now, Solomon, with regards to reaction from um, the people on the ground and the opposition parties, what's the reaction been like?
9: Well, the opposition party has come out, opposition political parties have all come out to condemn the violence in the National Resistance Movement party, and of course the shooting by the minister, Mwesi Gwarukutana. However, I mean, let's face it, um, I felt like it was, it, and they've been speaking tough about it, I felt like they weren't fair to themselves and as well as to to government, because if you look at the previous party primaries within the opposition political parties, it is the same script, different casts. I mean, we had the opposition uh, primaries marred by heavy violence uh, from the Democratic Party, from the Front for Democratic Change, uh, and so when we asked the opposition if we have such violence within the op- within the primaries in the opposition camp, what do you think? And they were saying, well, it's just part of democracy. There are always disagreements, and 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 they are normal. And this time, when they are rebuking and you know speaking tough about the NRM. I felt like they weren't truthful to themselves and honest, but Lulu, allow me to just broaden the conversation a little bit more in maybe one minute or so.
1: yes, Solomon, Keep Africa, it very brief because we are running out I, of time
9: I certainly I am, so I just thought that the- you know the whole violence in 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 Africa's politics. Is is disturbing. I mean, as as a continent, we need to really grow out of this violence and sort of look at how do we grow our political spaces and democracy without, you know, without being violent at all, Lulu.
1: So true, Solomon. Now, what's the way forward with regards to um, uh, you know uh, Mwesigwa and his uh, case? He has been remanded in custody. What's the way forward? You said the president, uh, um, you know, came in and and sort of uh, stopped the process. Is he still in prison? And uh, is he going to be appearing in court? And what's the way forward?
9: Suddenly, the law will take its course, Lulu. He slept in jail um, yesterday. He's going to be. Uh, you know, the lawyers are already asking for bail. My projection is that it's not going to happen, not now at least, because uh, the president will not let him out. And we are most likely going to see the prosecution beginning ASAP uh, to show some sort of accountability from the head of state.
1: Solomon, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
9: Lulu, it's a really a pleasure and looking forward to talking to you again.
1: Great stuff. Thank you, Solomon. That's uh, Solomon Sweranja, a Ugandan investigative journalist, joining us on the line from Uganda.
3: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
10: Cabinet has decided to place the entire country on alert level two with effect from midnight on Monday the 17th of August 2020. Alert level two in terms of our risk adjusted strategy in dealing with the pandemic means that there is moderate COVID-19 spread of the virus with a relatively high health system readiness. The move to level two means that we can remove nearly all of the restrictions on the resumption of economic activity across most
11: industries. Channel Africa
1: It's 7.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A delegation of South Africa's ruling African National Congress that will meet with Zimbabwe's ZANU-PF should tread carefully when discussing issues affecting that country. as according to political analyst Alexandra Rousseau, Last week, the ruling party's National Executive Committee resolved to send senior leaders to Harare following a crackdown on alleged dissidents. Rosero says ZANU-PF has already set the tone by consistently denying there is a political crisis or violations of human rights in the country. Nomabulani reports.
4: The NC has openly criticized government's recent crackdown. Last month, President Salah Ramaphosa even sent special envoys to Harare. And now a senior delegation from the party will meet its counterparts to discuss the challenges.
12: From the onset, ZANPF has already set the to tone. ZANPF has declared that there is no crisis in Zimbabwe. This resonates within the party. You look at the president, you look at the ministers, you look even at his spokesperson. They vehemently made it clear that insofar as the Zimbabwean issues are concerned, they do not amount to a crisis. Now the ANC is coming at the understanding that there is a crisis, so there is no diplomatic reciprocity to talk about. And the ANC, when it is dealing with ZANPF, it also treats carefully because ZANPF is not an easy character to deal with. ZANPF is also dodgy. ZANPF is also militant.
4: The political analyst says the ANC should meet all stakeholders, unlike the special envoys who only met with President Emerson Nagagwa. Rosero says this meeting cannot be expected to provide any solutions except call for unity and stability
12: if they wanted to get a clear picture of what is manifesting in Zimbabwe, it would be prudent if they meet all parties. But however, what is more important is to record set the record straight to the people that this is not a mediation exercise mediation is when you bring parties together and you start the process of making them talk and understand each other what is the, what we are at this stage is the anc government engaging maybe in some form of um Fact finding mission where they want to get the all sides of the story. So there is nothing much to write home about this visit because, at the end of the day, ZANPF is going to continue to be the part in power. It is not going to rectify the economic challenges that Zimbabwe has. It is not going to restore uh, the much anticipated confidence uh, within the Zimbabwean economy. <laughs>
4: Meanwhile, EFF's leader is not confident the ZANU-PF and ANC meeting will delve into the issues affecting Zimbabweans. He says what Zimbabwe needs is a new leader. He's also criticized government's decision to compensate the white farmers whose land was seized without compensation in the last 20 years.
12: The people of Zimbabwe deserve a revolutionary. We'll continue with the land question of Zimbabwe. Munangawa is the highest sellout ever in the history of African politics. He must be known as a sellout and not as a revolutionary. Anyone who reverse the land question in Zimbabwe and compensate white people for a stolen land is a sellout. And that's what Munangawa is. Another sellout is going there to join each other in the selling out.
4: The delegation is expected to include Tony Yengeni and Minister Lindiwe Zulu, who is the party's international relations head. Nama polani SABC News.
1: Despite the apology by South Africa's healthcare groups, clicks and the retraction. Of a print advertisement that created a national outcry, there's still a lot of anger over what many view as the reinforcement of a narrative that portrays white as better than black. The advertisement showed two sets of images identifying black hair as dry and damaged, as well as frizzy and dull, and white hair as fine and flat on one image and normal on the other. Sakina Kamwendo spoke to brand reputation management advisor and CEO of Don Valley, Soli. Muing and the director at Litmus Consultancy Brightness Mangolotti.
13: Sally, let me start with you. It's 2020. Not the first time we've seen this. It seems to surface ever so often and there's always the outcry. But is the anger justifiable? And what exactly is this advertisement underpinning about
2: black people?
3: The anger is justified. As I saw the ad. I have a daughter who has Hair yeah, like the one I saw in there, my, my my daughter's hair is not dull; it's beautiful. I think that uh, you know when a company, uh, when a brand makes keeps making the same mistake over and over again, it's no longer a mistake. I think there's something wrong in the in the corporate culture at this company. They have to be; they can't keep saying and doing the same thing over and over again. When people work, especially in in the positions where they interface with the public or where they put services and and products into the public space. They have to understand the communities in which they work. They have to understand the markets they are targeting with their products. They have to understand the sensitivities in those markets. And clearly, there is something wrong here. They, they, they cannot. Somebody looked at this ad from when it came in you know, from whoever created it and said, hey, we're good. we're good to go. And that person needs to account. The company needs to tell us why it go to the, why, what kind of teams do they have? Do they have mixed teams where uh, different people are able to give different opinions about, maybe this is not good for that community, maybe this is not good. Actually, not for this or the other community. Racism is bad. This, this gives it sense of wrong impression about the company, about the in, that it's insensitive to the feelings of the people out there, and it's wrong. It shouldn't have happened, and a mere apology and attraction is not enough. They have something inside the company has to change in the way they do things.
13: But evidently not, because if clicks, uh, having made a faux pas previously or maybe more than that, didn't see the need up until this stage to actually change the way in which these matters are dealt with, why would they see a need for that now brightness? Uh, Because I think it's a bit reductionist to simply say it's insensitive uh, to black people. Uh, This has to be questioned, and uh, you you have to actually pry more deeply, as Solly says, from the creatives. How does this even come about? Well, Sakina, it's a very interesting question that you are asking. Maybe what we need to start uh, engaging on is appreciating that racism is a phenomenon and it evolves, and it has become a trend in South Africa where there is a racialized construction of female beauty. Uh, The issue of colorism is uh, very profound in some of the advertisement that you see at clicks, the issue of the hair. I mean, uh, uh, for me, these advertisements are actually perpetuating white supremacy that renders anything that is non-white as insufficient. There is a conversation about black people lacking. So what, what you are seeing in this advertisement, they are actually saying if you are black, you are lacking and white is better. So it's a, const, a a construct between black and white people. And it is unfortunate because when we look into the issue of the hair, even white people wear wigs, even white people wear hair extension, even white people color their hair. But what you are seeing on the advertisement it actually echoes the message that white is better than black, which is not a good narrative. I think what is currently happening, there have been numerous advertisements that echoes issues of racism from the side of deep. But what is very important is the role of social media. The people on the social media, they've picked this up, they started engaging some political organization also came on board to say you know what it ends there. it cannot be business as usual and hence now they are coming forward and making apologies as solely correctly say you cannot continuously make apologies we cannot take that anymore there is a responsibility that organization needs to have i know for sure that there is always a conversation about diversify your team Diversity is one part, but what we also have identified in organization, even when they diversify, the institutional culture does not embrace black people. So there's a deeper conversation that needs to take place, which has not really even begun in our organization. I mean, in the workplace, when you talk about hair for black people, the, 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 the reason that the deeply embedded psychological impact of the conversation of hair, we haven't had. When you go into the workplace, if you have the hair like myself, you are looked at, it's a boy's cut, you're not really a female. You need to have a foreign hairstyle to look very feminine. And that's not the way to go. I mean, as I looked into this advertisement, I was reminded of the 13-year-old girl at the Pretoria High School who said it's enough. And who decided from that particular point, it cannot be because it's my hair, that it needs to be straightened that it becomes acceptable. It seems to me companies are not valuing black people, but they take value in the money that is brought in by black people.
1: That's a director at Litmus Consultancy, Brightness Mangolotti, and brand reputation management advisor and CEO of Don Valley, Soli speaking to Sakina Kamwendo. It's seven. 17- Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The World Health Organization has commended South Africa for its spirited fight against COVID-19. Speaking in Geneva, Switzerland yesterday, WHO officials gave an update on the progress made by the scientists and health experts sent to South Africa to assist. Take a listen.
12: The lessons learned on the the knowledge exchange has been been excellent Uh, and in many ways South Africa reached out to WHO not through weakness but through strength in recognising that it had a complex outbreak on its hands Uh, and not that it needed the help of WHO but what it wanted to do was be able to work with WHO to identify areas in which uh, things could be done better. Uh, South Africa has a strong health system, very strong laboratory system, very uh, proud history in diagnostics uh, and uh, proud history in vaccination. So, uh, I think also a lot of the, some of the work has been looking at preparation for down the line uh, and how a country like South Africa again can prepare itself for
7: potentially delivering a safe and effective vaccine. From the figures we have, if you take the number of cases, as you know, July, the week of July 20 was when it, it had the highest peak, around 83,000, more than 83,000 cases uh, per week. And now in August 24, the week of August 24, that's the last week, it's now uh, 15,000 cases per week. This is a significant reduction. Uh, but n- not just the number of cases, uh, the, the most important uh, indicator is actually death. And the number of days, if we take when it reached its climax, the August 3, uh, more than 2,000 a week, now in August 24, it's actually 994, August 24. So uh, South Africa is doing its, its best. Uh, we know it's very, very complicated, uh, but it's doing its, its best, and we're very glad to partner and send our colleagues uh, there to, to work with. And it's an honor for us to support any any country. And with the current trend, uh, we hope to uh, further uh, push it to a decline and further uh, control uh, the pandemic. But I would like uh, to use this opportunity to thank the leadership of the uh, uh, President, uh, President Ramaphosa, uh, not only in South Africa but in the whole continent by helping uh, to develop the continental strategy, uh, one continental strategy and helping the, ca- the continent to move, uh, to move as one.
1: That was voice of World Health Organization Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesis on and it's 7.31 Central African time and Anne Musa is up next with the headlines.
3: S.A.B.C. News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective,
14: perspective. perspective.
5: Good morning. I'm Anne Moussa. the headlines, West African regional heads of state have told the military junta in Mali to name a transitional president and a prime minister by the 15th of this month. Ethiopian security officials have barred at least 12 people, including four journalists and a senior think tank analyst, from boarding a flight to the northern region of Tigray, telling them that elections to take place there later this week are illegal. And South Africa's opposition DA has called on the police to take a firmer stance against people who engage in the destruction of property following Monday's nationwide protests at click stores. Those are the stories making headlines.
3: SABC News, independent and impartial from an African from perspective. perspective. across the globe every second there's always a breaking story
10: cabinet has decided to place the entire country on alert level 2 with effect from midnight on monday the 17th of august 2020 alert level 2 in terms of our risk adjusted strategy in dealing with the pandemic means that there is moderate covid-19 spread of the virus with a relatively high health system readiness. The move to level two means that we can remove nearly all of the restrictions on the resumption of economic activity across most industries.
11: Channel Africa.
1: The head of South Africa's COVID-19 Ministerial Advisory Committee, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, told a colleague at Sepiso that the country has made significant strides in combating the pandemic. Professor Karim says South Africa has a lower death rate than expected due to its readiness to deal with
0: the virus. When we look at the deaths, uh, we are looking at just one end of the complete spectrum of disease. We have people who have uh, no symptoms, mild symptoms, who are ill but do not need medical care, and then those who need oxygen and those who die. When we're looking at the extreme end of those who die, we have the reported cases, and there's about 14,000 of those. And then we can also look at the excess deaths. In other words, based on what we predict we should have had, we have more than that. And most of that occurred during our peak. And so if we add those excess debts, we we'll probably have about another 20,000 deaths or so. That translates into South Africa's deaths maybe twice as high, or maybe even two and a half times as high. At the moment, if we look at our current death rate, we are ranked around 117th in the world. So it means we have a death rate better than 116 in other countries. If we multiply it by two or two and a half, we still are better off than about 50 or so other countries. So, even if we take a worst case scenario, we actually have a death rate that's lower than expected. And this is partially because of our younger population and partially because we were able to better prepare. We had field hospitals, we had oxygen supply, we had dexamethasone. So, there were many things that contributed to our lower-than-expected
2: death rate. Mm. And just the herd of infections, how does that influence that? That lower-than-expected death rate is exactly what is worrying some sceptics, might I say, on the figures that we're reporting. Admittedly, the health department has also issued an instruction saying that uh, mortaries themselves have now got to get involved in uh, testing people to ensure that we collate the figures correctly.
0: Yeah, so the way in which to uh, resolve any concern you might have about the numbers is to look at the complete four separate indicators. So you look at the number of cases, you look at the percentage of tests that are positive, and we are testing at the moment somewhere between fifteen and about twenty-five thousand cases, doing between between fifteen thousand and twenty-five thousand tests per day. And so the positivity rate, the proportion of tests that are positive, we also want to see that get below 10%, which is about where it is right now. And then we want to look at the admissions. And there we're seeing very clear trends in the admissions, and we're seeing a very clear trend in the deaths. So when you look at the the totality of the evidence, it's all going in the same direction Hmm. so it's very unlikely that you know it's a maverick or an odd finding or it's just all nonsense in reality that it all follows
2: but we also had uh, the who talk about the fact that it's encouraged looking at the african region that uh, the the number of cases positive cases are going down but also warning that we should be careful now it's uh, recommended avoiding the three c's the crowded places close contact settings confined and enclosed settings are we really doing that in level two though because there are a great deal of concerns that are being raised the fact that we have suddenly abandoned the precautionary safety measures
0: When we looked at uh, our situation, because we had gone into quite substantial restrictions early, that's not really sustainable. And so we had to release that, even at a time when cases were going up. Now we have a situation where cases have come down quite drastically and we've eased the restrictions even more. The piece that really concerns me is that at 2,000 to 2,500 cases per day, we are still in the midst of an epidemic. When I look at people and they becoming complacent and they are not following the rules of social distancing and mask wearing, they are going to lead to a situation where we could have another surge. We could get an increase in cases. So we have to appeal to people that we are still in the midst of an epidemic. And so we have to really follow the rules because Mm. if we don't, the consequences could be dire. Mm.
2: And it's interesting, Professor Salim, to hear the WHO Director General talk about lockdowns as blunt instruments, saying that we need to get the right mix of targeted and tailored measures. At this point in our infection trajectory, given the fact that we are trying to, uh, you know, resurge the economy at the same time while ensuring that people keep to the public health safety measures What is the right combination for us? We've seen them praise us, but uh, surely that's not enough. As you say, we are still in the midst of an epidemic, though the surge may be behind us.
0: So when we were dealing with this epidemic right at the beginning, you know, in March, when we knew very little of, you know, how it was spread and so on, there was a need for urgent and decisive government action. Because if we adopted... The traditional public health measures route it would just take us too long to get everybody to convince everyone to start wearing masks and to social distance so there was a need for urgent decisive action and we did that but then we have to transition out of that because we have to i call it you have to pivot the prevention paradigm and i presented this at the international covid 19 Conference. That you need to move from a situation where you depended on government action to a position where you depend on individual action. But that individual action needs to consider that I will never be safe unless everyone is safe.
1: And that is the head of South Africa's COVID-19 Ministerial Advisory Committee, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, speaking to Sipi There is a growing discontentment in Nigeria over increases in the prices of petroleum product and electricity tariff announced by the government late last week. The hikes, as explained by analysts, will have a ripple effect on the prices of consumables, goods and services, in addition to increasing the level of hardship faced by the majority of citizens whose income and purchasing power has not witnessed any marginal rise for a long while. Channel Africa News correspondent in Lagos, Collins Zatohenbe, reports that members of civil society organizations in parts of the country have kick-started demonstrations which could spread across the country if the situation is not handled with care.
15: When the administration of the all-progressive Congress Party under President Mohamedou Buhari took over the reign of power in 2015, the pump price per litre of petroleum was 87 naira, which was less than a quarter of a dollar but now it has gone up to 162 Naira with about three-quarter of a dollar. This may look small, but going by the purchasing power of a Nigerian with a minimum wage of about $65 on the average per month, the endless increase in the prices of goods and services, it has become clear why there is anxiety across the land. Describing the situation, a public affairs analyst, Madi Shehu, says the increase will have a multiplier effect on other aspects of living in the country. He says the sales of petroleum products in other countries should not be used to judge the Nigerian. Socio economic situation
11: the increase in petroleum price orders been UK selling petrol at 340 for a litre Rwanda selling 380, South Africa selling 330, they can sell at 1,000 or 2,000 if they like pounds per liter in UK because look at the living condition in the UK. As a citizen in the UK, your child go to school free. When you are sick, you go to the hospital free. You don't need to own a car because dependable public transport system that are operational, functional and highly uh, affordable. So you can't compare that system where everything is working to a system where nothing is working. Nothing operates in Nigeria. Therefore that argument is an insult to the collective intelligence of all Nigerians.
15: The overnight increase, which gave no room for citizens to examine the merits and the demerits of the move caught the attention of a coalition of some groups in Northern Nigeria, which has now called on government to immediately consider reversing the status quo. The group's spokesperson, Abdulaziz Suleiman, says government has become helpless in the face of manipulators in different phases of the economy who now apply price increases amidst poor service provision. Government has
6: lost the courage to assume sole responsibility for the regulation and control of market forces, thereby abandoning Nigerians to the mercy of cutthroat multinational communication and sundry service providers unscrupulous scrupulous internal profiteers that infest the banking and other financial institutions and largely extortionist government policies of multiple taxation. This has reached a point where government looks on as oil marketers, such as Ipman, become sole determinants of prices of fuel, while banks impose ridiculous charges on customers at will, and telecom operators extort Nigerians in exchange for low-grade services the accepted universal practice is for governments to subsidize costs of essentials in line with citizens purchasing power, the Nigerian government rather provokes more hardship on the population with inconsiderate, unregulated, harsh economic and financial policies.
15: In Ashun state southwest of Nigeria, social society organizations staged a procession against the increase with a call on government to reverse the decision within five days. The convener of the protest, Wahid Lawal, leading other speakers, says Nigerians have been put under undue pressures.
12: We are here because Buhari has failed Nigerian citizens. We are here because we said no to increment in kilowatt of electricity in Nigeria. We are here because we said no to incessant increment on the pump price of petroleum products in Nigeria. We are here
3: today to protest and give them five days' ultimatum, five days' notice
12: to the same decision. Offers the wrath of the people we are just coming out of pandemic and the gift for pandemic is increment in fuel and uh, kilowatt of electricity majority of us came out to join the occupied nigeria against president jonathan and today we have been given worst of what president jonathan gave us the catholic
15: church in nigeria had a prayer procession to seek god's face in favor of nigeria while also seeking government's rethink on the increase which according to Archbishop of Abuja Ignatius Kaigama is making Nigerians groan under a heavy burden of lack and poverty. We are at the grassroots and I meet people who are really poor people who are really in need and with all these increases it makes life more intolerable there is a way out, the poor and the needy can be helped. People are in agony and they are suffering. Government is their father, government is the leader. Let them do something. The heat is rising gradually, but what is the possibility that Nigerians will eventually break the barriers and demonstrate? Would the government step down from its pedestal of power to meet the people and effect a reversal of prices? Madisha says there is no evidence that government will back down.
11: You can demonstrate as you like, but I'm sure the type of government we have in place now will never listen to you, they will never reverse they think they have the wisdom and the courage to continue doing what they wish they would do without taking into consideration any public opinion the consequences are that there will be a multiplier effect it is a devaluation by force At a time when 70% of Nigerians are living below poverty line, they are living abject poverty. The meaning is uh, more hardship, more people going out of school, more starvation, endlessly.
15: With the spate of insecurity and poor economy in a country where prices once up does not drop, even when there are evident favorable conditions, the drum beat of war may yet sound louder, leading to the unexpected reactions, which could be favourable to either side of the divide. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa atoengwe for Channel Africa News.
1: U.S. President Donald Trump and Democratic rival Joe Biden took rhetorical swipes at each other as the presidential campaign entered its traditional home stretch on the U.S. Labor Day holiday. Reuters
16: reporter Freddie Joyner filed this
0: Really a very special
16: this Labor Day holiday saw both President Donald Trump and Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden make public appearances with less than 60 days to go until the November 3rd election. Trump held a news conference at the White House Monday afternoon where he took fresh swipes at his rival, calling him stupid. Trailing in national opinion polls as the U.S. death toll from the virus approaches 190,000 Trump unleashed a broad attack against Biden and running mate U.S. Senator Kamala Harris, who said they would not take a rushed COVID-19 vaccine purely on Trump's word.
0: Biden and his very liberal running mate, the most liberal person in Congress, by the way, is not a competent person in my opinion, would destroy this country and would destroy this economy, should immediately apologize for the reckless anti-vaccine rhetoric that they are talking right now, talking about endangering lives, and it undermines science.
16: A vaccine has yet to be approved. At the event, Trump again dismissed a report in The Atlantic that he had referred to fallen U.S. soldiers as, quote, suckers and losers, and in rambling remarks, hailed the U.S. labor market's recovery from the pandemic-fueled recession. Biden, meanwhile, spent his Labor Day in Pennsylvania, kicking off a flurry of travel to battleground states this week. During a visit to a home in Lancaster, he met with union workers who also served in the U.S. military. Biden took the opportunity to attack Trump over the comments he reportedly made disparaging fallen soldiers.
11: You, uh, Do you think most of those guys are, and women are suckers?
16: <laughs> no. The campaign heats up this week, with Trump traveling to North Carolina, Florida, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Biden is looking to expand his lead in the polls, eyeing 16 states that could be up for grabs in November, pointing to voter doubts over Trump's coronavirus response and the battered economy.
1: And that report by Reuters reporter Freddie Joyner. It is 7.50 Central African time, and our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoku
3: Across the globe every second there's always a breaking story
11: What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to
15: our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report
12: that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netler to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles
10: we are on an ambitious drive to industrialize to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country they don't have jobs
12: i've tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now the challenges were experience and the, the level of education which
11: i have And all Africa.
14: Thanks, lulu the Restaurants Association of South Africa, RASA, says that there has been some improvement in adherence to lockdown regulations from businesses in the sector. This follows a warning from Tourism Minister Mamoru Gubani that establishments that continue to flout regulations and protocols will have their operating licenses revoked. RASA CEO Wendy Alberts says some bars and pubs are finding it difficult to adhere to regulations due to their setup. However, she has urged these establishments to make efforts to follow the protocols.
13: Those establishments really need to be responsible in ensuring that the protocols are followed. Because the quicker we all move through compliance, it allows us to move to level one. The complexity within the bar space is very different to a sit-down restaurant. And we should have looked at ways of doing things perhaps a little bit differently within those establishments. Over the last weekend, we certainly have seen an upturn. We certainly have seen the bars and and particularly those uh, establishments move forward in a more positive way.
14: South Africa's Power Utility, ESCOM, says a Stage 1 load shedding will resume this morning from 8 until 4 p.m. in the afternoon Central African time. Load shedding will increase from Stage 1 to Stage 2 from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. in the evening. The pattern of moving from Stage 1 to Stage 2 is likely to persist into the week. There are concerns that the load shedding will take place a further burden on an economy, already on its knees after the hard down coronavirus lockdown. Real estate experts in South Africa say the months of June and July have seen a 3% increase on approval of home loans applications. El Mbobo Province property developer Sunat Skiapas says that the impact of coronavirus on the economy has not negatively affected the sale of property completely. Skipper says consumers have taken advantage of low interest rates.
13: Currently, the property market in Polakwani is um, performing exceptionally well, especially the sectional title market and townhouses or flats that is priced well, sells quickly. Um, Even full-time properties in well-established areas or high-security estates that are priced competitively um, and offer modern upmarket finishes is in high demand. We are currently experiencing a trend where people who used to rent are now purchasing their own properties.
14: Two affiliates of Libya's National Oil Corporation have suspended some work because of coronavirus. The country's biggest refinery, Zawiya, located west of Tripoli, says it will close its offices from the 8th to the 17th of September, reducing staff by 10% and placing them on emergency leave. In eastern Libya, the Arabian Gulf Oil Company said it had suspended all work and activities for 30 days to protect oil workers from the pandemic, except for operations relating to industrial safety and security. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration says it is investigating manufacturing flaws involving some Boeing 787 Dreamliners. Boeing says its 787 Dreamliners had removed eight jets from service as a result of two distinct manufacturing issues in fuselage sections. The FAA could require inspections covering hundreds of 787 jetliners after production issues at one plant. The U.S. dollar is trading at a 382.2 Nigerian Nara, 1134 Botswana Pula, 107.25 Kenyan Shilling, and 1962 Zambian Guacha in BRICS currencies in Brazil. One US dollar costs of five twenty nine in Russia seventy five rubles sixty five. In India seventy three rupees twenty six in China a dollar. It's changing hands at sixty one eighty three and in South Africa it will cost you a sixteen Rand sixty eight. The US dollar is also trading at seventy five pence to the British pound and 84 cents to the euro a look at commodities markets now gold is trading at 1 dollars and platinum at 902 dollars per ounce so the price of brand crude oil is at 42 dollars 18 cents a barrel africa rise and shower
0: Africa rise and shine. Africa, so Africa, amuka na unai.
1: That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Ronald Peary, technical producer Dumele Mugwena and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. Goodbye and stay safe. (muchas)
17: Vacamet, Gorogamet, Gurudancera, 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 sumuru Gurudancera, 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 Oh minaï, il veut Mana